Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's another episode of Business of Film. My name is Jesse Eichmann, and this is episode number 39 of the crafttruck.com podcast. All right, so today we've got Sebastian Tuardos with us. Uh, Sebastian's an awesome dude. He worked his way up uh, from the ground up, as, as many people have, as an assistant. He started out assisting Paula Wagner and Tom Cruise uh, during their, their heyday of their production company, and now is a both a teacher at USC and also a sales agent representing producers in the domestic market. So we had an opportunity in this podcast to talk about a very wide range of topics, but at the same time go into depth and detail about those topics that we're talking about, all of which are relevant to independent uh, film producers. So I hope you enjoy this episode. You can check out the show notes at crafttruck.com slash BOF39. And uh, if you're listening to this and you're enjoying the uh, Business of Film podcast, it would be super, super awesome if uh, you could head over to iTunes, uh, leave us a review there. It really helps the show out. Uh, I don't know how the algorithm over at iTunes works, but uh, I know that reviews help. So uh, whether you're liking the show or there's stuff you want to comment about, you can leave reviews over at iTunes. You can check us out over at, at Craft Truck on Twitter, and uh, we would love to hear from you and what you think uh, about the show and any questions that you have. So Enjoy this episode. It's number 39 with Sebastian Tordos. Um Yeah, so thank you for coming on the show. I, I appreciate you taking the time here. This is awesome. Um, I think as we get going, maybe you can just take a moment and you know tell our listeners a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. <laughs> All right. Well, um, uh, I love films and... Um I've been, you know, I, I went to film school at USC, which I love, um, and I teach there now. Um, I've had a lot of really cool jobs in the business, mostly in development, you know, working on um, developing movies and, and producing them, etc. And uh, so now, um, I guess, you know, I have like three jobs now. Uh, one is I, I'm actually an agent, and I represent... Uh, filmmakers who have completed their films, so like independent uh, feature films, and we help them to get distribution. I also teach, so I have a couple classes at USC Cinema, and I teach also in the MFA program for National University. And uh, now I'm actually also doing um, a series of interviews on a site called The Lip TV, and that's it. Cool. Um, so just because I, I, I think it's always interesting for, to get that kind of teaching perspective. Uh, so what is it that you teach specifically at, uh, at UFC? Uh, so, okay. Well, I teach, you know, I, it's, it's the business of film, but whenever anybody says the business, um, you know, some people think it's like accounting and all of that, which it's not. Um, I teach about like how Hollywood actually works. So, you know, like agents and managers and, you know, development executives and producers and, you know, how do you become an agent? How do you become an executive? How do you, you know, what do people who run studios do? How do you get your writing career going or directing career? I mean, actually like the practical things of getting into the business and, you know, making it hopefully. So that's the class. That's awesome. You teach my class. <laughs> <laughs> I love this class. Yes. I, I, I know. We, we, we both obviously love, love, love this class. Uh, so on considering this is the, the, the business of film podcast, uh, what I, I just from a, your kind of big picture view of the field right now, when, when you're looking at the industry and you've got a bunch of 
I guess, new filmmakers sitting in front of you, and you're trying to convey to them, okay, what is what is the business of film really about? What are you about to embark on? What's kind of the the the, the salient? Uh, kind of big picture stuff that you try and you know impress upon your uh, I guess students. <laughs> it's gonna take hours to answer this. Um, all right. Well, so you well, know what? I'll just I'll just I'll I'll, I'll pretend I'm, I'm the student now, and <laughs> I'll just sit down and take some notes, and you go for the next forty minutes, and that's great. We've got a podcast. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> uh, I don't think anybody will listen that long. Okay. Well. All right. Uh, so. Well, the thing I've found is, you know, when you're like a kid, you're growing up, you love movies, you know, you're 12 years old, and um, you're like, oh, I just want to do that, and it just seems like so far away, and and it just seems so unattainable. Um, it's actually none of those things. Um, ultimately, you know, people have this impression that, you know, it's far away, and like I said, that it's, that it's, that it's like a dream, and that it's not... Uh, a practical thing that you can do when in fact it is. Um, so, I mean, I've been, you know, I've been out here since 89 and, uh, I've seen a lot of people succeed. Um, I've also seen some people leave the business. It's true, but you know, the people who succeed, they come from all over the place, you know, every state, every country, a lot from Canada. Um, and, you know, all walks of life, people who are rich, who are poor, who are in between, you know, it's just, you know, basically anyone can do it. So, you know, the question is, do you, the, real, the real question is how much do you want it and how passionate are you? Um, because it, it's, not, it's not an easy process, that's for sure. It's, it's, it's really hard and then it becomes perseverance, but it actually is attainable. Um, so I guess that it comes down to that. And so what I teach is just how you go about doing it. Not, not that you can go from A to Z, which you can't, but, um, you, you know, there are things you can do to kind of increase your likelihood of success. And, and when you say just kind of your likelihood of success, when you define success, you're, you're kind of, I guess, tackling it from the point of view of becoming a successful producer in the business. Cause I guess that's your approach to what you're teaching. Anything. You can be a successful writer, director, producer, agent, manager, studio executive, what have you. So just on the on the independent side, I kind of want to just keep the conversation more on the indie side than the studio side just because I think it's more applicable to uh, to our listeners at least. Um, do, do you feel there, there is a strong indie film market right now? What do you mean by a strong indie film market. Do you, I, I guess what, what I'm trying to ask you is like, do you, do you feel that the independent film business right now, um, and I'll, I'll frame this a bit. There is so much content out there right now that it's difficult for, and, and when any, and when the barriers of entry are so low, it's difficult for, uh, for your film specifically to get noticed in the crowd. And so when you say anybody can do it, and I totally believe that enough passion, uh, you know, enough time. Uh, I think when you said when you said you know you'll get to A to Z, just it may not be overnight. I'm totally on the same page with you. My question is though, when you get there, you know, what does their sort of look like in the independent film business? Because if you're a guy with a camera and some software, you can make a movie. But the big question is, you know, how do you get that movie to actually have some kind of resonance in the market? Because when anybody can do it. And there's, I don't know, thousands of films coming out every year. It's a tough, quote-unquote, business. So uh, when I'm asking the question, do you feel that there's a strong independent film business, is I'm kind of asking the question 
from the perspective of, is it even a business or is it this, this kind of glorified passion slash hobby? <laughs> All right. Well, I, 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 you have two roads you can take as an independent filmmaker and you have to know which road you want to be on from the onset. So one, you're either making a film because you just want to make money or two, you're making a film because you want to, you know, jumpstart your career or get your career going. I would say um, most independent filmmakers should be making films to get their careers going uh, with the ultimate goal of making much bigger movies and, you know, or television series, etc. If you go down route two, which is, you know, that, um, that the goal is to, you know, get your career going, then really you, you, you are accepting the fact that most independent films are not going to do very well financially. So it's not about the money. It's really about you. And, you know, there are a lot of investors, or at least the best investors, the ones that you want to back you, are the people who, you know, the first thing that they ask about is not ROI, which is, you know, return on investment. The, what, what they're interested in is supporting you, the filmmaker. Like, they want you to succeed. They believe in you or they believe in your movie, and they want to support it. And, um, and what the result of that is that, uh, if it if it does well, you well meaning you get attention like in festival circuits or you know just you know certain people see your movie that can actually help you. So what one result is that um, that it can actually progress your career. A second result, if it's actually done well, is you can also have you know financial success. I mean, an example of this of what I'm saying in route two. Then I'll go back to uh, the road one, but. Um, the example of what I'm saying now is Brick. I mean, look at Ryan Johnson. He made this very, very small independent movie. I would say even quirky. And uh, it went to Sundance. And, you know, I, I, I've, I've spoken to Ryan and I, I know his story. And it was not an easy movie for him to make. They did have to raise a lot of outside money and they had to raise, you know, and his family had to put up money um, for that film. And uh, it was a risky venture, but it, you know, and if you look at that film, it's not like it's, you know, the most polished movie you'll ever see, but it's really good. And, and it just caught the zeitgeist and, you know, people really love it, especially, you know, when they're younger. And, you know, that movie went to Sundance and it really transformed his career, got him going. And then he made a couple more movies, um, eventually culminating with Looper. And now he's, you know, directing Star Wars um, Episode Seven. So, you know, that's what can happen. And by the way, Brick was financially a huge success as well. So that's what the goal should be. But it shouldn't be that your, your goal is, oh, I want to make money. That's, that, I think, is really the worst goal in a lot of ways when you're making an independent film. The goal should really be that I want to make a good film. I want people to notice the film, to notice me, and to notice all the people who are part of it. You know, the actors, the DPs, the editors, and everyone who's a part of it. Yeah, it, it, the idea, I mean, okay, first of all, I'm, I'm totally on side with everything you're, you're saying, and that is a, a wonderful example as well. So let me, let me actually uh, push this idea a, a little bit farther then, because if you're going to go out there and make a movie driven by passion, driven by people uh, who are willing to support you, which I believe is the right way 
to go about doing it as well. And, and anybody who's been on this podcast, especially um, a lot of the people who uh, come from the crowdfunding space, they always say that you know you want people to be backing you personally because it's you know it's your journey, it's your offering, it's uh, you know it really is about you, especially in those early career stages. So cool. The question then becomes, uh, if you're going to go out there and make a movie driven by, driven by, I guess, passion, now you've kind of got this interesting, uh, this interesting place in the market, let's say. Because if you're going out there and doing a passion-driven but marketable film, and by marketable film, I'll say, has uh, elements that involve, let's say, uh, cast, a higher concept, maybe more genre-y, put that in one bucket and you can by the way feel free to push back on it on anything i'm saying here but i'm just going to paint a broad picture of that's our quote-unquote marketable film cast maybe genre maybe more genre ish easy for an audience to get their head around bucket b is i'm going to make this you know uh passion love story or this passion project that is uh you know this uh uh narrative drama and Maybe you've got some cast in there, maybe you don't, but it's, it's uh, again, both could be equally compelling stories, let's say, but one is much more targeted towards the marketability of it, and the other is targeted towards the, um, the, the, just the, the beautiful narrative tale, let's say. Um, so if I present these two options to you, uh, where do you, you know, uh, play tennis with me a bit on this? What's your feeling about each option? Um, I mean, first of all, I just, well, I just want to make sure that you do, do you understand where I'm, I'm coming from here? Because at that, in those early career stages, you do have that choice. You do have that choice to say, I'm going to, I'm going to make something that's going to really speak to the marketability, or I've got this really awesome story that I have to tell, let's say. And maybe the two aren't mutually exclusive, but for the purpose of my question, I'm kind of putting them in two camps. Well, I, I, I see what you're saying. Well, for, I'll just preface this just slightly by saying, to me, it really depends on the intent of the filmmaker from the very beginning, um, which is do they want to make money or do they want to make a movie that um, has something to say? So if they go with – if they if, if money is an issue, then yeah, you go for the one that's uh, a little more marketable, that, that kind of you know adheres to certain – you know, genre, iconography, etc. If you go and you make the straight drama, you're. It really depends what it is. Because look, you can go, you can go to Sundance or Toronto, and you will find straight dramas that that do very well. Um, it, it's a hard, you know, you, you you can't really box it or generalize it. I, I mean, ultimately, the real answer is what you want to do is talk to people who've been there before or who kind of know more about the, the marketplace could, because you can't, you can't pin me and just say, Oh, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, don't do a drama. I, I just won't say that because there are successful independent dramas. So, um, you know, it's just, you, you would have to just talk, talk, talk to people. But, but again, it goes down to, to the intent. And, and, and then, you know, if you did row one, which was like, you just want to make a lot of money, then what you do is you just make a movie for very little, as low as possible of a budget. You make it in a specific genre 
and you go for you know some kind of niche, whether it's you know it could be a horror niche, it could be um, gay and lesbian, it could be teen comedy, usually teen sex comedy. Um, you just go you just go directly for that niche, and um, and you you can do well if you hit that uh, properly. So. Right. Okay. Fair. Fair enough. And yeah, I mean, I wasn't trying to to box you into a corner. Just that I, I feel people certainly in the early stages of their career do do have those choices. But I think your your well, the misconception. There is a misconception. We can talk about the misconception. The misconception is that you you can make an independent movie, um, and you're going to make a lot of money, and everyone is going to see it, and it's going to be in theaters and all that stuff. That's a gigantic misconception. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, the reality is most people don't make money. Like, 99% of films that are made don't make money. Or, don't make, or when I say don't make money, don't return money to the actual producer. Yeah, That's, yeah, they make, they, they make money. Um, I know, because I do this for a living, they do make money, but they, often they don't, yeah, they don't make more than the budget. But it depends what the budget is, too. I mean, because, you, you know, look, I mean, I'm sure you know this. You, 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 your friends who do this, you know, like you could have one filmmaker who can make a movie for $300,000, and then you could have... You know exactly the same script, exactly the same cast, even, and another filmmaker is making that same movie for six hundred thousand dollars, just because they they're not as adept at you know saving money, or you know they're not as quick on the set when it comes to you know getting the shots off, or they who who knows what it is. So you know, I I, I mean here, here's here's the other problem. I was just talking about this last night in my class. Um, the other problem is. People will make movies for whatever money they can get. So, like, if they can get a million dollars, they'll make the movie for a million dollars. Maybe that movie should really have been made for $500,000. But because they got access to a million, they'll just make it for a million. And that is not a wise thing to do. It's very funny that you say that. Uh, Admittedly, that's what happened to me on our first film, is we got over a million dollars, we made the movie, and it did not return money to its investors. And uh, we should, uh, in, in hindsight, we should have made it for less. Um, yeah, or make two. <laughs> or make, hey, even better, uh, two for one. But okay, so you you uh, you teach obviously as part of your you know when you, when we first started you you do the, you do teaching which is awesome and then you also have this market driven side of you where you're an agent and you and you bring films out to the market. So when when you're uh, when you're out in the market selling independent film, first before we kind of go into the well, actually, let me ask you: What kinds of films do you do you typically sell? Right, well, it's it's all genres, including you know, including documentaries. So it's pretty much all kinds of things. But budget wise, gives you a better idea. Um, I'd say the majority of our films are you know hovering around five hundred thousand dollars. And then there are some movies that are very low budget, you know, as low as fifty thousand or you know, hundred thousand dollars. And then, and then there are always, um, you know, there's a handful of films every year where they're you know, million, two million, three million dollars. But but the majority are, you know, around the five hundred thousand dollar range. And when you're taking these films to to market, the the kinds of genre product, I mean, are they across the boards or are you yep. uh, are you mostly Action All or horror. Okay, so any any genre film in that kind of range is is is, is where you, you like to play. Yeah, well actually my favorite 
genres, not necessarily everybody else's favorite genres, but uh, I actually love dramas, and uh, I, I, my, my favorite genre of all is probably family films. So, and for in the in the, in the independent space, they can do quite well. So, talk to me now about what the the sales market looks like um, when you're out with these uh, with these films. What's selling well? Like, what? Um, I mean, if, if you were to dissect it a bit in terms of okay, th- this is helping. This helps me sell a film better than. Then if I didn't have um, this, you know, like what, what, what elements are helping you actually make the sales? It, 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 it's, a, it's a few things. Um, one is genre. Uh, you know, so it could be, um, it could be thriller. Thriller is probably the best because that, that can sell worldwide. Um, then it's, uh, you know, horror. It could be teen comedy, which I think is really good. Um, but it, it, you know, and it, it could be family in, in independent movies, uh, family films actually do quite well, but it, it has to adhere to the genre. So not hybrids, I guess is the best way of putting it. So like, if you're going to make a family film, it's got to have, you know, cute dogs in it or, you know, animals and, you know, family and kids. And it, you know, there's, it, it, and, you know, hopefully it gets the dove seal of approval and, you know, it's it's just a film that you know it's not going to no controversy to it. If it's um, if it's a horror film, the thing I always say about that is, you know, people think that's like the easiest genre because oh yeah, we'll make a lot of money and people want to see it and blah 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 blah. But you know, I can't tell you how many times I see, you know, like you know, bunch of you know twenty somethings in the woods. They find a house, there's sex, and then everybody gets killed. I mean, I, I happen to love Friday the Thirteenth, the original. I actually worked for Sean S. Cunningham, who directed the original Friday the Thirteenth, and um, I happen to love those movies. You know, but that was at a time when there weren't that many, really, and and his was one of the first. Um, it's seminal in the genre, and now you know a lot of people are just knocking them off. And so, what I say about if you're going to do a horror film, you have to think of it as like the very last movie you're ever going to make. And secondly, you have to think of it as in like, hey, you know, my parents are going to see this. And, you know, maybe later on in life, my kids are going to see this. So make it good. (laughs) You know, don't make it something that you're just going to laugh at 10 years from now when you're drunk with your buddies. You know, make it a movie that actually works and put I would say put the same amount of effort into your horror film that, you know, Stanley Kubrick would put into The Shining. You know, you elevate it, make it good. Don't just knock it off. Um so so one you got to go for the genre and like adhere to the genre sci-fi for instance you know is any of the genres really work but particularly like sci-fi horror um you know thriller action drama is the hardest but you can make drama work too i mean sundance and toronto are you know tribeca south by southwest some of the major festivals they're all full of dramas and that work and they get people's careers going you just have to kind of understand the the, the quality of it. Um, But the other thing then is cast does matter. Um, And it used to be you could just get like one kind of name in it. Now I guess they're asking for two. And it doesn't, you know, we're not saying you have to get Tom Cruise, but you you have to get someone who, like if you said the name, you know, most people would kind of know who that is. Um, And, you know, there are a lot of people who were, you know, former television stars or former movie stars and now it's 10 years later and you know they're they're not in that stratosphere anymore that you know may want to do an independent movie um 
And then, uh, you know, the other thing that matters in terms of sales is, is film festivals do matter, actually, um, especially the major ones. So, um, like, the, the ones, at least in North America, well, I pay attention to quite a few, but the ones that stand out would be Slamdance and Sundance. And I always say Slamdance, and I always ask people, did you apply to both? Because, and, you know, oftentimes people say, no, I, you know, I didn't do Slamdance. And I'm like, really? Well, you know, it was good enough for Chris Nolan. So, you know, you must be better than Chris Nolan because, you know, I guess Slamdance is not good enough for you, you know. So uh, Slamdance is important. A lot of good filmmakers came out of there. Paranormal Activity was sold out of there. Um, so anyway, so Slamdance, Sundance, South by Southwest, Tribeca, Telluride, um, AFI, Los Angeles Film Festival, Seattle. Um, I said Toronto, I hope, didn't I? Tor- I mean, Sundance and Toronto are like the two majors in North America. So those are like some of the festivals that really, you know, we pay attention to and that could help your film. Uh, so uh, paint me then this, a, a little bit of a picture in terms of what um, the economics look like when you've got a film budgeted at, at these levels um, and you bring it to the market. And, you, I mean, you, you suggested earlier that you can make money in these mm-hmm. in these, these kind of genre buckets. Um, what does make money actually mean? Like I mean, I, I, I mean, if you, if you feel uncomfortable answering the question, then then no, it's fine. Yeah. Well, there are there. Look, it's it's like anything else. I'm you know, it's sort of like a pyramid. You know, I mean, like like most other things, like businesses or whatever. Everything just kind of falls into that. There are the winners, and there are the films that 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 aren't you know succeeding financially. Um, it's 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 actually pretty it's impossible really to 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 guesstimate it like some people give you these projections but i don't think projections are you know they're they're usually not very accurate and you can't project a lot of things um it's hard it it really is hard to say because look we we have worked on a lot of films and uh, i know that there are films that some people you know if they saw them they wouldn't think that they're very good to tell you the truth, but they're making money. They're actually, you know, um, they either will actually make a profit or they're at least, you know, returning money to the filmmaker. Like the filmmaker is getting checks. Then there are films that, um, that aren't that, that, you know, they're, they're just not doing very well. Um, I, I, I can't give too many specifics, but you know, and, and you know, then, then it's true. There are films that make a lot of money. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, that's why I said when we started this conversation that I don't think filmmakers should go into this, into making independent films with the goal of making money. That should not really be your goal. Your goal should be to uh, get your career going. And then if you, if your film turns out well, you could potentially do very well. And so I don't know, but you know, the economics look like if you go to Sundance they have like I don't you know a, approximately 125 feature films in competition. You know, usually you know in the in the 10 or so days of the festival, only about 20 of the films sell during the festival, and some of them sell for advances of like a hundred thousand dollars. 
And then there's usually, you know, the lottery winners, like, you know, three or four lottery winners out of those 20 that sell for a million dollars or $5 million or even as high as $10 million. So, but that's why I call that is a lottery winner. And then throughout the rest of the year, you know, the other 100 films that didn't sell during the festival, a lot of those films will then sell. And some of them will get advances and some of them will get no advances. And they, they then hope to make money, um, you know, uh, you know, if the distributor makes money and if everything works. So, um, and you're talking just, just to be clear, are you talking, uh, domestic U S or North America or are you talking yeah, more about, I'm, I'm talking mostly North America. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and okay. And so when, when, when you're, when you're handling films, um, uh, forgive me cause I, I actually, I, I should know this, but I don't, are you, are you dipping your toe into, in, into foreign as well? Or are you strictly focusing on, uh, oh, well, we, we, we don't, we used to, but you know, the, 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 there's a lot, of, it's complicated when you go on the foreign because then you have to do a lot of travel and travel is fun, but when you have a family, it makes it more difficult. Also, um, you know, then accounting, there's a lot of accounting involved. Like we're, we're, we're strictly like we, we represent, filmmakers we don't we don't actually distribute their movies we, we find them distributors and foreign sales agents that's all actual distribution so it's complicated um oh they started that up now i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to close the door um we don't um we we don't really get into that right um okay so um bring me back then to just uh, i i i just because I'm on IMDb. I'm looking at I'm looking at your uh, credit list here, and obviously, uh, you 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 started your career. Uh, and I'm I'm going back a little bit here for uh, a point because I always I, I always find this uh, interesting. You started your career doing a lot of assisting, right? Well, um, yeah, you know, most people start as assistants in the business. Um, so uh, the first job, well, actually, they're not all here. The, the very first job I had was actually assisting <laughs> Scott Rudin, uh, who's a phenomenal producer of great taste. And then uh, I actually, that was kind of a temp job, really. And then, But my, my real, first real job, I actually assisted Roger Corman, some, some of the executives who worked for Roger Corman, so I got to know Roger Corman a little bit. Um, but what I consider my first real job was uh, for Sean S. Cunningham, who is the you know director of the original Friday the 13th, and he did uh, Spring Break, and he did the House series. He's sort of like the Kevin Williamson of the 1980s, I always say. Um, so I worked for Sean as an assistant, and then I jumped to what became really the, the job that, that made the big difference, which was being an assistant to an agent at ICM. And that was about two years. And then I worked for Paula Wagner and Tom Cruise. I was Paula's assistant when they had a production company at Paramount. So, yeah, there was... Um, how many years of it? So 93 through probably like five years of being an assistant, nine, 93 through 98, maybe 97, somewhere in there. Amazing. That was like a heyday at that time. I remember uh, they were, they were, they were pumping out some amazing films back then. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was Mission Impossible one, Mission two, Jerry Maguire, um, the others, Eyes Wide Shut, uh, Without Limits, which was the first film he produced that he wasn't in. Um, that actually was the actual pinnacle, I think, of um, his popularity. And it's so funny because I was listening to a podcast with uh, Tom Cruise. I think he was on the Nerdist podcast. And 
I, I'm not, I don't even know if this was mentioned on the Nerdist podcast or is mentioned on some other derivative website that I had been glossing over at the time that was related to it, but he strategically kept his career away, away from action movies uh, for the longest time. And then it was only in like the early 2000s where he, I think Mission Impossible was his first action movie. Before that, it was all like dramatic, dramatic roles for the most part. Even Top Gun, really, it's a drama. On, on this, yeah, on that this probably had a lot to do with when Paula Wagner was, you know, Paula was his agent before she was his producing partner, and uh, she has very good taste. She guided his career um, as well as Kevin Bacon when he became a movie star, Demi Moore when she was the biggest movie star in the world, um, Oliver Stone, uh, you know, oh, she had Matthew Broderick. She was actually the, the person who um, made the deal and for Matthew Broderick to get into um uh, War Games and uh, Ferris Bueller. She had good taste, and so um, yes, it. it um, you yeah, I mean, I think Tom's original. Some of the things that he originally wanted to do was just be associated with quality filmmaking, and especially quality filmmakers. So if you look, he often picks movies based on who the director is. Um, so and he's worked with many of you know the the, the, the best directors that we have today. Uh, easily, so uh, and that's how he made his choices, which was wise. So he didn't just he. I, I don't think he went just for being a star. He went for quality, and um, you know, and he was just somebody who people loved, and he became a star in the process. While you were you were working for uh, for Paula, what did you learn? Like, what what were the big what <laughs> what makes her so good? What didn't I learn? Oh my god! I don't know. I, I asked this. It's funny because we recently had somebody on the show who was an assistant um, to uh, who, who I deferred to, 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 to Chad Omen. Sorry, yeah. it was the assistant yeah. Chad, Chad Omen. It was uh, Stephanie Palmer, um, yeah. and and she was awesome. And I asked her the same question just because I I love getting some of those insights from people who have worked for other great people. Uh, so, uh, I mean, what were some of the big takeaways that, that you, uh, that you took away from your time with Paula? I almost don't know where to start. Um, you know, the one thing out of the almost four years I worked for her and I'm still very close with her to this day. Um, you know, she, she said to me like the wisest thing, which didn't make sense back then, but it makes sense now. Cause you know, I was in my twenties and when you're in your twenties, you just want to conquer the world and all of that. And she said that it's a marathon and not a race. And, you know, a lot of people just want to shoot to the top as quickly as possible, which often leads to burnout or just making bad decisions. And, and, you know, and it is a marathon ultimately, and it's better that you, um, kind of, I don't know, be grateful for uh, the where you are in life. You know, grass is always greener sort of a thing, but you should be grateful for where you are and, you know, just, you know, just move forward, but not, not, um, just not to push yourself too fast. That was the ultimate takeaway from all those years. Um, but, you know, the, you know, gosh, there were, there were so many other things. I mean, look, I was working for Tom when he was literally the biggest movie star in the world, um, unquestionably. And, you know, you, you just got to see a lot. 
Um, but I would say, you know, Paula, um, she really knew how to um, treat talent very, very well. Talent meaning writers and directors and other actors, etc. Um, you know, it's partly because she she went to Carnegie Mellon University. She wanted to be an actress originally, but her career really took off when she became an agent, and she she just became very adept. Um, not just adept, but she she was. It mattered to her that people who were creative were were treated well and paid well. <laughs> you know, she was an agent after all. Um, and you, you, you got a sense that, yeah, you know, um, you can do very well, um, if you are out here and you, it just made, it just made me realize like it was actually possible to do, to do all these things. I, I'll just leave it in those generalities. I mean, there, there are lots of specific things like, you know, the big one that everyone talks about us in the system is like just, you know, extreme attention to detail, um, is, you know, huge. But um, but those were the main things. Yeah, I mean, and, and just coming back, kind of bringing this full circle a bit. I mean, lots of people in the business start out as assistants. It, it really is kind of that that awesome gateway into into the business. And I imagine that a lot of the people that are coming out of your class are taking that that route as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, well, I know they are. Yes, it's true. And you know, a lot of people say, well, then there's the question like, well, you know, do I really want to become an assistant or should I just write or should I just direct or whatever? And I always say like, at least if you're out here, I'm not sure what it's like in Toronto, but if you're out here, you know, everyone says this and I agree that, you know, one year of either working at a major agency or working for a really um, well-known like, you know, producer or director um, is 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 going to be worth it because you're going to um, you're just going to meet a lot of people and you're kind of you're, you're just going to get what the business is really like so that when then you go out on your own you you you'll have you know you'll have kind of a network of people that can that can help you get to where you want to go. Yeah, at the end of the day, this this is a business of networking, isn't it? It's um it's def I I have found without question that uh, your friends are more important than anything. Fair enough. Fair enough. Friends in the business, I guess. I mean, but friends yeah, yeah. in no, no, friends. I, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I I smell what I smell what, what you're cooking. I get you. Um, so I guess just kind of leaving off because we're we're almost here at the end of our time for uh, for this episode at least. Um, if you were to give some parting words of uh you know just some some wisdom that you'd like that you would impart to uh, to people who are starting out their career anything other than you have said thus far uh what would you uh actually sorry let me let me rephrase this question because i actually should have asked you this earlier so i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you this now what's uh the one or two biggest mistakes that people make uh when they're trying to make their film an independent movie yeah yeah um Uh, the main one is, um, <laughs> along with just making it, making the movie for whatever they can get, they, um, they make the movie as soon as they get the money. And that's not good. You know, when you work in the studio system, you know, development, it is called development hell, and sometimes it, it doesn't work very well. But overall, it's pretty good. And, um, you know, people write lots and lots of drafts of screenplays. They get lots of notes, lots of input, and um, and and it's pretty rigorous. And the thing is with independent filmmakers is 
um, they're, they're, they're not developing the scripts as much as maybe they should. Um, and I, I would just say, you know, because look, this may be the only movie you will ever make. Um, so you really should treat it that way and, and put as much effort into it as, as you can. Um, and so I, I think I think that's the main thing. And the, the other one is somehow people still find themselves in a box. I mean, uh, you know, the, or I, I do. I mean, I do it too. You ju- you just you just kind of get like tunnel vision, and um, and you know, there's good things to tunnel vision because it makes you succeed. Because you know, you're it, it's part partly what drives you and all that stuff, and it makes you do things that other people can't do. But the 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 bad side of bad side of it is that you know people. The, the, they get so egocentric that, um, <laughs> you know, that they become their worst enemies, so to speak. So, I, I mean, you just have to step back, have some perspective, um, and, you know, develop the script and then put together the best team that you can, but not do it so quickly and so rapidly that, you know, that, that you know, and, and, and not have this fantasy that, oh, you know, it's going to get into Toronto or, oh, it's going to, you know, make a ton of money or, oh, I'm going to get an agent off of it. You know, that, that's all fantasy. You, what, you, what you have to do is just make the best possible movie and just kind of go from there. And, you know, people have all kinds of different resources. I, you know, I've even seen people make a, a fantastic movie for like $5,000. Uh, you know, I, it, anything is possible as long as you just put the care into it that, 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 that you should, and then don't just, you know, knock it off. Well, I think that's, uh, there's no, no better place to end than on that. Uh, and I want to thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate you taking the time and certainly, um, as always, uh, I take away I take away a few takeaways for myself every time I have these conversations and uh, I hope that our listeners, uh, take away as much as they can as well. So I, I thanks again for your time today, Sebastian. It was awesome. Cool. Thank you. Your site is awesome, and I'm actually pitching it to all my friends and students, too. I think it's great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, all right, so that, uh, that, that wraps it up for today.